And welcome to a new direction. My name is Jay Izzo. I know every week I say the same thing. I have an amazing show, but it is absolutely amazing. This is an amazing show because I have an amazing guest, Dr. Michael Goldsby. You're going to love him. You're going to love the book. For those of you who will listen to this on a podcast, I know you can't see the book, but I'm holding it up for everybody who's watching me right now live. And it is called Entrepreneurship the Disney Way. Wow. That's all I'm going to tell you. We're going to get we're going to get with Dr. with Dr. Goldsby. I promise you we will. But I'm telling you the book outstanding, awesome, amazing, cool, insightful. If you have ever thought in your mind that man, maybe maybe I would like to try this entrepreneur thing, the book's amazing. I'm telling you it's going to be so insightful for you. But hey, let's do what we do every week, right? Let's check in with you on the four areas of your life. You know, I really believe that we are four-part people. We are physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual people. So let's check in where you're at on a scale of one to 10, one being miserable, 10 being outstanding. Let's talk about you physically. Where are you at right now physically, right? I mean, how are you feeling physically? Are you, are you, and, and what are you doing? Are you eating right? Are you getting a little exercise? Are you doing the things that you need to do to be healthy? Are you getting your checkups, right? Those type of things, right? Are you doing all those type of things? You putting the fork down, you keeping your hand out of the bag of chips? right? Putting down the sodas, right? What do you, how are you on that scale of one to 10? One being awful, 10 being outstanding. How are you doing right now? Right? Okay. You got that number. Now, whatever that number is, how are you going to get to the next number? So if you're a three, how are you going to get to a four? If you're a seven, how do you get to an eight? And how can you start on that journey right now? What can you do to start on that journey right now? Okay. All right, cool. Now, secondly, let's talk about Let's talk about the mental side, right? What are you at in that same scale, one to 10, one miserable, 10 outstanding? Where are you at mentally? What do I mean by that? Well, for those of you who have never joined us before, what I mean mentally is what are you feeding your brain? You know, our brain is two halves. We have a right side and a left side. And I'm going to get a little geeky here. We have this thing called a corpus callosum that kind of keeps those things together so they kind of communicate with each other. But that right side is our creative side. That left side is our logical side. You, you can think of it for those Trekkies out there if they still exist. That's kind of like your Mr. Spock brain there on the left side. So my question is, what are you doing to feed both sides of your brain? How are you, how are you growing in your, your mental activity? What are you reading? What are you consuming? What is your brain ultimately consuming over the course of your day or the course of your week, right? I mean, this show is a great show because, right, I interview authors who write nonfiction and and you're going to find that Dr. Michael Goldsby has a tremendous sense of humor and he's a just an outstanding guy he's 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 going to be fun and he's going to feed both sides of your brain yeah it'd probably be a little bit more left brain but I promise you it's going to be bright brain too but what are you feeding yourself what are you listening to what are you reading right you got that number we got two numbers right so third where are you at emotionally on a scale of one to ten one being miserable ten being outstanding how would you say you're doing emotionally and what I mean by that, and you'll hear the words like emotional intelligence or the unemotional quotient being thrown around, but what I really mean is how well are you able to really control your emotions when like the little things get to us? How well are you able to overcome, you know, situations where you want to get emotionally but upset or, you know, emotionally out of control, but somehow you're able to keep yourself under control? How are you able to do that? Right? And in addition to that, that part of that emotion is how well are you able to relate to the emotions of others? 
right? Because that's all part of emotional intelligence and, and your emotional quotient. Isn't how well, just how well you control your emotions, but how well are you able to tune into the emotions of others? You're going to find that in today's, in today's talk with Dr. Michael Goldsby, as we talked to about entrepreneurship, the Disney way, that Disney was a genius at being able to tap into the emotions of others and being able to understand the human from an emotional standpoint. It's so important to success. So you got that number, right? Okay, you got your emotional number. So you got your physical, mental, emotional number, right? What are you going to do? You can do things right now to probably change that, right? And by the way, emotions, it's all about intention. If you are intentional, you can, you can control your emotions. I promise you, you can. And then finally, the fourth level, and that is where are you at spiritually on a scale of one to 10? And what I mean by spiritually, you know, the fact of the matter is we all kind of have a belief system that we believe in something, right? And I know I can hear the scientists. Look, I, I, I was raised in science, okay? I can hear the scientists go, well, there is no such thing as the spiritual. I promise you, science cannot explain everything, all right, A. And then B, I want to tell you, you believe in something. You, you absolutely do. You have faith in something outside of yourself, right? You have to. If you didn't, you wouldn't live. So maybe you believe in karma, maybe you believe in nature, maybe you believe in God, whatever that may be, what gives you that centerpiece and, and, and puts you at rest? Whatever that may be, how are you doing in those areas? Because if you neglect it, it's going to fall apart just like everything else will, right? So if it is, a, if it is God is, is how you are centered up, well, I just ask you, how is that relationship going? And if it's nature, how's that going? Are you, are you centered or is it karma? You know, how's that happening for you? Whatever the case to me. Now you've got four numbers, okay? And think of the four numbers as the legs of a table. And you're sitting in a normal height chair and you're trying to eat off a table with these four legs that may be uneven or too low. And when that happens, it makes it very difficult to eat off the table, right? So the goal here is to bring up all four of your legs and get them at the right height so you, that you eat well. And that brings me to my next guest, and I am so thoroughly excited. His name is Michael Goldsby. And <clears throat> let me just say this. Michael Goldsby is actually Dr. Michael Goldsby. He's going to allow me to call him Michael. Maybe he'll even let me call him Mike. You but he is, Mike. A, he yeah. is the chief entrepreneur Ship Officer and Executive Director of the Institute for Entrepreneurship and Free Enterprise. The Stoops Distinguished Professor of Entrepreneurship, Professor of Management, and Director Emeritus of the Entrepreneurship Center and Program at Ball State University. I have practiced that, I'm going to tell you, over and over and over again, and I still stumbled over it. And so he teaches creativity, innovation, and design in the university's nationally ranked undergraduate and graduate programs in entrepreneurship. Uh, Ball State University Entrepreneurs Program and Center earned national rankings under his leadership, including top 20 in Business Week, Success in Entrepreneur Magazines, and top 10 in U.S. News and World Report's elite ranking. Dr. Goldsby has produced 35 referee journal articles, which, by the way, is extraordinarily impressive. He is also the co-author of several books this one not outstanding. And also, let me just tell you this. He's got his own website. It's called MikeGoldsby.com. And you can, by the way, join. I'm, I'm not making this up. You know what? You can join the Goldsby team, right? If, you, if, you've got, if you've got it in you, you can be part of the Goldsby team. He's a podcaster. He's an author. He's written this incredible book. And so please, everyone, welcome to the show, Dr. Mike Goldsby. Michael Goldsby, welcome to A New Direction. Thank you, Jay. It's good to be here. So. Um, and oh, 
you know what? I would be remiss if I don't do what I always do, right? So special thanks, uh, Dr. Goldsby is being sponsored today by Inline Business Brokers and Advisors, and they are internationally known business brokerage. So if you are going to sell a business or if you're looking to buy a business, do not hesitate. Do not call anyone else. Call the folks at Inline Business Brokers and Advisors. You can get more information by going to Inline, E-N, lign.com. He's also sponsored by Linda Craft and Team Realtors. No matter where you're at in the world, if you're looking to sell or buy real estate, stop. Look, look for the people who are the experts in their field for over 30 plus years and have been providing excellence and legendary customer service. Contact Linda Craft and her team. You just go to Linda Craft, L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T.com. And also, today's t-shirt shout of the week goes to Holt Physical Therapy. When you're looking to, um, you know what? <laughs> they get you back in the game, man. And that's the shirt. They gave me the extra large shirt. I'm so happy to have them as uh, today's t-shirt shout out. So, can I call you Mike? Yes, please. Okay, good. That makes it so much easier on me. So, the book, Entrepreneurship, The Disney Way. I found this book to be amazingly inspiring, intriguing it as a, as a business coach. I also found it to be incredibly insightful and helpful. And I could already see uh, that I'm going to be implementing several things I learned from your book uh, to, for my clients. But one of the things I want to ask you about is when you were doing the research on Walt Disney, what surprised you most about him? Well, what surprised me the most was that he went through through some very, very hard times over the years building that business. And I did not realize how hard his life was, uh, not just his childhood, but his whole life until doing the research for the book. Do you, do you find that you've done so much work on entrepreneurship and, and, and I know you've done so much research on it. Do you find that to be a commonality of successful entrepreneurs that they typically all have some sort of hardship or was this unique to him as an entrepreneur? I think it's pretty common. And maybe there's a correlation there that uh, being able to handle hard things in life prepares you to handle hard things in business. And so there's a lot of people that are, you know, work for the entrepreneurs, the implementers, the people that like the steady paycheck. Uh, but, but Walt said, one of his famous statements was, he thought it was very good to experience a failure when you're young because it prepared you for the challenges you'll have later as a business person. I, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, coaching business, you know, authors, speaker, right. Run my own business. And I'm kind of a solo act, uh, you know, good or bad. I am what I found interesting about this book and was actually so encouraging to me was that so often when I was going through struggles and have, and I, I will go through more, I mean, I, it's just the nature of what happens, I think, whenever you're out on your own. But it was so encouraging me, and you just encouraged me more to just go, I got to look at these setbacks. I got to look at these difficult times as kind of preparation territory for for growth. And I think, I think you know, when I was reading this book, even the points at when he was a child and he was, you know, Elias was not very, uh, it was, well, you know, he was spanking him regularly and, and, yeah. and yet, uh, and then one failure after another, or somebody betrayed him or whatever it was that happened throughout the course of his life, it, it never dampened his enthusiasm ever. 
Yeah, exactly. You know, I say that one of the lessons I got out of looking at Walt's life is he always found the upside in these situations. So there was a famous story where he lost his original creation, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, to right. Universal. Right. And that was one of the betrayals that happened to him. And he had the opportunity actually to sign a contract to stay with Universal and work for Universal. And he gave that up. Uh, but the lesson he learned was he was never going to give up ownership of his properties ever again. And that's how Mickey Mouse happened. If it had not been for that betrayal, the upside is he got Mickey Mouse. And so Walt, through his whole career, whenever one thing would happen, he would endure that and he learned from it. And those were things that probably were the major components that propelled him to the next stage of his career. Michael, do you think, first of all, I never, what you did with, what you did, by the way, the book's called Entrepreneurship, The Disney Way, absolutely fabulous book, insightful read uh, about Walt Disney and then, of course, the Disney properties from there on. And we're talking with Dr. Michael Goldsby. Michael, did you fall in love with the man or did, like I did, I mean, I, I fell in love with the man just based on what you wrote, right? I know there's a lot more than what you wrote here in, in the first portion of this book but did you fall in love with the man like i did totally and i you know i was already you know you write the book because you're interested in him from the myth of who he is and the legend uh and all the things that the walt disney company became so there you know when, when i started writing the book the reason i was drawn to it was i'm an entrepreneurship professor who's also a creativity expert and i've never found a better combination of creativity and business than walt disney and then later the company that he built and so Yes, that drew me to it. But then, then you're right. I did fall in love with him more as I learned about his story because, as I said before, the things that he endured, I mean, you talked about your your physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. He was tested in all those areas. And something that people don't realize is uh, he had some real hardships. Things, for example, like he had a, he had a neck injury that he got from polo when he was mm-hmm. in his uh, early 30s. So he had... He had physical pain his his entire life from that. The rest of his life, he was in physical pain. He got treated for it every day. Uh, emotionally, spiritually, he and his brother Roy, when they found success, bought their mom and dad a new house. So they got him a, you know, did a nice thing that, that boys do. They bought their mom and dad a house. But that house had a gas leak in the furnace that ended up suffocating and killing his mom. He was He was sort of responsible, not, you know— intentionally for the death of his mom. I mean, these things that he must have carried with him as he kept moving forward in the business. Uh, I, I was even more impressed with what he accomplished after I learned about some of those things that he, he faced just in his life. Yeah, I, I found every story that you told here, whether it was about his mom and the gas leak that he felt totally responsible for, or I even felt like when they went on strike, right? And here were these people that he just believed wholeheartedly that they would always be loyal to him. And when the strike occurred, it hurt him so deeply. And I think this was one of the lessons that you bring out of this. Is But it forced him to change, which was actually probably a good thing. But he put the pictures. On, you tell the story that he put the pictures on the wall. He did. Not only did he put the pictures, he put the pictures life size. Yes. <laughs> so he had a he had a huge wall with photos of the people that were striking, and and he never forgot that. He he looked at their faces, 
And uh, he did hold grudges. And a lot of those people were later uh, out of the studio. There weren't that many, maybe just a handful that stayed after the strike that were out there uh, on the strike line. And you know what? Walt, he took that very personally because Walt really didn't have a fortune until near the end of his life. Because every time he made money, he put it back into the business. And, And in fact, a lot of times the employees were making more money than he was because he, he was paying some of the best animators higher salaries than he was taking. Right. And he thought, my gosh, if, if I, at the time, he built this tremendous ahead of its time campus, the, right. the Burbank studios they still use. I mean, it was truly uh, groundbreaking what he did to provide a place that would be a worker's paradise. And he thought, here I am providing all this for the people that work here. I'm risking everything I have. All they have to do is put in their time and get a paycheck. And and he just felt personally betrayed uh, because he had done everything he thought he could to build a good company for them and a good place to work. And and there's sort of a, a BS and AS for Walt Disney. There's a before strike and an after strike. Right, right. And after strike really did change him. And, and in a lot of ways – uh, it may have done some good for the company because it, it made right. him sort of separate himself more from uh, the people. So there's these famous stories that later uh, at the studio, Walt would not tell you if you were doing a good job. You might hear it from somebody else that Walt said you were doing a good job, but Walt would not tell you directly. And, and a lot of people criticize him for that. And I think that was a direct result of the strike. I think that before the strike, there were people thinking that he was giving favoritism to some of the people who had been there a while. And then the company was growing, new people came in and they didn't have the same relationship. So I think Walt to a certain degree said, I can't be quite as close to people. Uh, there might be favoritism that people will see people will read things into it. And so he became more of an executive. He was still a creative person, you know, he's still the original Imagineer, but he became more of an executive after the strike than before. It was more of a, uh, kind of a a lab for experimentation and, and everybody was in on the same uh, mission. But afterwards, it became more uh, the Disney company, Walt Disney as, as, as the, the head of the company. And uh, and he he changed as a person. That really, really hit him deep. We're talking with Dr. Michael Goldsby. He's going to let me call him Mike. That's pretty awesome. Uh, is what he's going to let me do. The book is entitled Entrepreneurship, the Disney Way. So I took inside the book, actually, uh, page 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15. Uh, you have the entrepreneurial leadership instrument. And it, it doesn't tell you how strong you are, but it kind of lets you know kind of where you're at in that entrepreneurial leadership scale. And there and, and there's kind of four areas that you talk about art you know, the artistic and and then we move to the scientist, to the builder, to the evangelist. At least that's how Walt did it. And I took mine. I, I did it because I wanted to see where I'm at. And I fall more in line with that. And I think you and I maybe share the similar profiles. I fall more in line with that artistic scientist side. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, I, I do more so than I do the builder e- evangelist side, and so my, my egg is a little skewed. <laughs> to, yeah, right towards that end. Sure. So, uh, and then you walk us, of course, through this with Walt. But talk to us a little bit about this entrepreneurial leadership instrument, uh, because I, I really do believe that people take the book and take the instrument. I think it would be really helpful to see where you're at. So talk to us about the instrument and and what it's designed to do 
and at, how you came up with these four areas of of leadership, uh, entrepreneurial leadership. Sure. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, yeah. You know, there's a common question you get asked when you're an entrepreneurship scholar, and that is, so what is an entrepreneur? You know, there's this entrepreneurial personality. Is there is there a certain type of person that's an entrepreneur? In my experiences, has been that. You find all different types of entrepreneurs, but what I did was, and you'll appreciate this given that you're a psychology scientist, uh, I thought, okay, first of all, entrepreneurship is about opportunity. So then it becomes how you think about opportunity and how you act on opportunity. So I came up with, with uh, a one side of a grid where you maybe think about opportunity more abstractly and big ideas. Or maybe you're more a concrete thinker where you get into the details. And then I thought, okay, well, then how do you act on it? And we know that there are people who like to explore ideas. And then there's people who like to capitalize on the on the ideas or, or exploit them. And so by doing that, I came up with four quadrants. And so you would have the artist who's into the big ideas, but also likes to explore a lot of things. And that was the artist. And then the scientist is more into the technology and the concrete and the reality of the world and want to understand the world, but yet they explore. So those are scientists. Builders are concrete people. They're really into details, but they do it on a bigger scale. And then evangelists are those people who have big ideas that they do on a big scale, trying to get others on board with the mission. And so what I found is I've given this to a lot of people and and you can find it in the book. We also have a website, www.elprofile.com where it's there as well, and we explain the the profile in more depth. Uh, With that profile, we've given it to a lot of people, and and it has been very, at least by face validity, by the people who have taken it, they've said, yes, this describes me very well. And more importantly, it helps me see where other people in my organization fit. And I know that I've got a friend out in Silicon Valley who's a venture capitalist using it with building teams out there, his entrepreneurial teams, to say, do we need a an artist right now? Do we need a scientist? Do we need a builder? Do we need an evangelist? And with Walt Disney, the story of the book, the first half of the book, is showing how Walt was able to build that company by passing through all four stages right. and, and and then bringing others on board in those areas to build up a really great company. Yeah. I, I, uh, by the way, we're talking with Michael Goldsby, author, co-author. I should say. I don't want to. I don't want to take Rob. And, and kind of throw him under the bus here because, <laughs> but uh, Michael Goldsby and Rob Matthews wrote, co-wrote this book called Entrepreneurship, The Disney Way. It's really two books in one. Can I, is it fair that I can say that? Can I say yes, that? Yes, you can. It definitely is. Because it, it's really two books in one. The The first half of the book is is really lessons from Walt's life and, and how they apply to entrepreneurship. And, and Michael does a beautiful job walking you through the lessons from Walt Disney's life. And then Rob Matthews comes in and takes his real life experiences and his observations and certainly his research and then is applying it to the Disney post Walt area. And so it's really having the complete Disney experience and why they're so successful in the trials and travails that they went through in their success. And by the way, he, he, Dr. Goldsby, Mike and uh, entrepreneurship, the Disney ways brought to you by inline business brokers and advisors. And I want to just say this about those folks. They have been the sponsor from the very beginning of this show, and I am so grateful for them. They took a risk on me. I evangelized, and they took a – this is an internationally known business brokerage and advisory company that took a risk on me doing the show, and I am, am very grateful to them. They have literally helped thousands of people in the sale and purchase of businesses. 
So when it's time to sell your business, why not contact the internationally known professionals at Enline Business Brokers and Advisors? You can learn more at Enline, E-N-L-I-G-N.com. And we're also brought to you today by Linda Craft and Team Realtors. Wherever you're at in the world, they can help you either find the right person or if you're locally in the Raleigh-Durham Research Triangle Park area, they will help you find the home for you and help you sell your home. They have legendary customer service, which is what Walt Disney was all about, and they are sponsoring today's show. Just go to lindacraft.com. So I, when you were talking about Walt, and I'm pulling all these lessons out of there, and you, as we walk through his artistry, I, I, let's just kind of take this little sweet journey. He walks through his artistry initially, we see it as a child and his fascination and wonderment and his drawing and his fascination with Charlie Chaplin and and it, it, I, he acted and even later in his life, he would he acted out all the parts of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, which of course became his you know masterpiece, I, I would say original masterpiece. Is it important that every entrepreneur have at least some artistry or do they already have it? I, I think it helps. I mean, I think the thing about knowing your profile is that um, it tells you areas that maybe uh, at least you can have an appreciation more for the people who do those things or you have an appreciation for what's involved. And not that you have to be the artist, but you can. Uh, bring artists on and and help. I mean, think about what the entrepreneur does. It's like Walt Disney said later in his life. It's kind of like a, a a little bee that you know goes from flower to flower, stimulating ideas. And I, I think uh, being more aware of what artists do, maybe developing a little bit of it in yourself, it's useful because I mean, the artists are probably the people that understand the human condition better than anybody, and then try to express that. And you know, Walt was better at knowing who his customers were than probably uh, just about any business person in history. Yeah, he was, yeah, I, I love that. I love the fact that he was so, do I still have you by the way, Michael? You do. Can you hear me? Yeah, no, I can hear you. I thought we lost you there okay. for a second. I was so fascinated by the fact that um, he, he, he just was able to tune in to people so easily and knew he knew what people he knew what people wanted it seemed like before they even knew what they wanted mm-hmm. I, so I, true yeah I, I just i just felt it and by the way we're right i mean we're still living off of we're still living off of disney stuff today some 50 plus years later we are and they, and they still abide by the core principles that he put in place i mean they have the philosophy and the approach and the and what Disney is about hasn't changed since Walt died. No, no, I, I don't think so. I mean, you know, even the times I've gone to Disney World because I live here on the East Coast, I, I, I'm like, no, none of that's changed after read, especially after reading your book. All right, so he moves from this artist to the scientist thing, but I think he's kind of, I think he may be kind of like you and I. I this is kind of my opinion, Michael. Correct me if I'm wrong. But I got the feeling that he was kind of like you and I, really, an artist scientist, because I love technology. I am so into technology, and I am an early adopter. I am the guy who is like, let's buy it and let's see what happens, right? Let's see how we, yeah. let's see how we can use this, right? I still have my Google Glass. To this day, I was an early adopter of Google Glass. And to this day, 
Michael, I'm still going, you know what? I think the, I think I got an idea how to make this thing still work, right? <laughs> Excellent. Right? Yeah. But right. he loved the technology. Matter of fact, the animatronics that he developed, what, 19, was probably in the late 30s, early 40s, I guess? Yeah, maybe the animatronics, probably a little bit later in that, but yeah, he developed those. Right? Are still amazing. They are. Right? Yeah. So here he is, the scientist embracing technology. Talk to us about why embracing that can inhibit you maybe as, why not embracing that could inhibit you as an entrepreneur? Yeah, great, great question. Yeah, the thing about Walt was I think first and foremost is he was he liked to learn. He was he was curious. That's, that's what drove him. And I think each project was just a chance to learn and develop things and create so he was very much an artist and a scientist by by uh, the way he lived. And what was so cool about him is he he had an appreciation, a real love for those things. He get, he would actually work in the machine shop with these people, working on ideas. Uh, there's a there's a great story when Disneyland was being ready for its opening. Walt was in the Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea exhibition, spray painting the walls the night before <laughs> with. <laughs> construction workers uh, he loved he loved to get his hands dirty he loved to get in there and do things and i think once walt accomplished something it was it was always going to be what's next i mean he, he just could not stay with what he'd accomplished he wanted to learn and go into the next place and then he would leave other people to manage those things he was not going to be the uh person running the day-to-day operations he was always going to be uh, looking at what the next challenge was that all this fame and and uh, resources could be used towards his next big dream. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I was. It was amazing to me to watch him in embrace this. I was telling my wife uh, that you know when he built the Burbank campus, I said you know we get all caught up into oh we got these cool little campuses now we call HQ or you know insert name here where people can get away from their job and they could go grab a beer or they can go play ping pong or they can go. I said, Walt Disney was doing this in the thirties. He was. Yes. I, I said he had underground tunnels. Uh, you were writing about this. I'm, I'm not saying anything. I know this is from your book. It's from the book, by the way, I'm, I'm quoting stuff from the book that Michael wrote, by the way, I'm just letting you know, I, I'm not that smart. Okay. Understand. I'm not that smart. It's, it's just that I read the entire book over and over again. It's just a great read. So really buy the book entrepreneurship, the Disney way. Fabulous read, really insightful. But one of the things that uh, that I found was that he built the tunnel system, which of course would later be in you know Disney World. Of course, would have you know has this amazing underground city basically. But he built the tunnel system so he could protect right the proofs of you know of concepts right so that they wouldn't get wet if it rained or anything else right. I mean, exactly. He, he was thinking and he was thinking so forward about. His employees, and I, and I think he was thinking so forward about it. And he, this is where he starts to build, right? He starts to become a little bit of a builder. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, the studio was a was a huge building project, and I and I think that, uh, and in a way, even even Snow White was sort of a building project mm. uh, because it was taking everything he had learned from Mickey Mouse and the Silly Symphonies, which were masterpiece cartoons. Right. And all the technology that made those uh, so wonderful, and he scaled that up, and then it was a huge hit. And then he said, "With that money, the money that came from Snow White was used to build that campus." And I think it's it's at that point where he goes from being a 
uh, kind of a really popular kids business to be in a, a true media uh, empire type of business. I mean, because as I said, that campus is still used today as company headquarters. Right. Yeah. And, and I want I want to jump in, throw this in, in here, too, so people realize because you alluded to it. We just didn't go go off in that rabbit trail. <laughs> and here it comes. So Oswald the rabbit, pun intended. OK, do you see what I did there, folks? I did rabbit trail and then walked right into Oswald the rabbit. Uh, OK, you can laugh at that later for those of you <laughs> who are listening. And yeah, giggle. OK, so Oswald the rabbit was actually the first uh, really the first big creation. And, and of course, it was taken away by um, a, a guy from New York City whose name escapes me, Mitter or something like that, and, right. and uh, Universal Studios, which, by the way, I found the irony in this is that Oswald the Rabbit, we never talk about, but Bugs Bunny and Warner is huge to this day. <laughs> I just want to just I just want to throw that out. Sometimes karma actually <laughs> comes back to kill you, okay? Because uh, they could have had Bugs, they took Oswald. Bad choice, okay? And yeah. you took Oswald from Walt. But thankfully, we got Mickey Mouse out of the deal. <laughs> what I want to say, though, is as I'm reading, I wanted to go back and watch those silly symphonies. And I, so I started with the very, you can go to YouTube, people. You can go to YouTube, just read this book, and, he, and, and Michael will take you through the succession here. I went to YouTube to watch the silly symphonies and how they improved. Each one, you know, he, he taught, you talk about this, that he talks about improving the improvement. Yes. Right. I mean, that's part of that building block thing that he was doing, always improving the improvement. And the silly symphonies got so good. The, the uh, ghosts one was absolutely, uh, I, I'd forgotten. I know I've seen it probably when I was a kid at some point but it was they were they're phenomenal they still are relevant and they're still really good mm -hmm. right and but this is all part this is all part of the building process for him until we get to snow white and that snow white thing is a huge deal why definitely yeah definitely huge well as you said one uh, what they learned in the Silly Symphonies, that, that was sort of his laboratory where he was taking, so think about this, we talked earlier about the, the artist, well, he, he was working in the art of animation, but then it was really going into that science mode with the Silly Symphonies where they were bringing technology in to, to make animation uh, more than just moving cartoon characters, but actually serious works of art but due to the technologies that were developed like the multiplane camera right. and uh also using color uh first cartoons used technicolor and i think more than anything even using music to set the tone right. was a real advancement so when he had sort of learned all he could know from the science uh, of animation that they created that with silly symphonies there was a point where he had been kicking around this idea for snow white for years and that's the thing about walt uh, sometimes he had these flashes of insight, but sometimes he would mull an idea for years and then he'd say, okay, it's time. It's time. We're ready to do this. And once he decided it was time to do something, he was all in. Yeah. I, I found that part fascinating too. this entrepreneurial, this entrepreneurship that we learned from Walt Disney was, and, and Rob talks about this later in the book. And that is, you know, we have to have sometimes have patience with our ideas we, you know, we're not necessarily going to, you know, sometimes we rush too quickly into an idea and Walt was really willing to ruminate 
because he wanted everything excellent. And 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 I I can fall into this trap. I don't know about you, Michael. Maybe you do as well. But sometimes I can fall into this trap of wanting something to be so excellent it never gets produced. And mm-hmm. I, and you you alluded to that about Walt that his brother actually had to tell him, Walt, it's good enough. Exactly. There's a wonderful story about that with Snow White. Snow White again, probably the the masterpiece of of animation of all time. And and I agree with you. It's probably the company's big, biggest success. And it was getting close to release time, and they were working on it all the way up to the end. And there's a there's a scene in there if you watch the very end, the last few minutes, where the prince is walking down to to kiss uh, Snow White, and there's a little just a slight second where the where the prince he shimmies he makes it kind of jumps a little bit and walt says roy give give me two weeks he said uh i (laughs) this thing has to be perfect i i need to fix that and roy said we got to release on time let the prince shimmy (laughs) and i kind of think i always use that in my own mind as you said you know we as perfectionists are pursuing excellence sometimes we have to let the prince shimmy. Sometimes we've got to say it's 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 really good, it's excellent, it's good enough. We got to get it out there. It's 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 uh, finding that balance of uh, execution, and that's what Roy was so good at. Roy was really that execution side of keeping the reality to the to the ideas, which still goes on at Disney. You still have sure. Team Disney, these uh, really solid, savvy business people working with the Imagineers and the animators to make sure that. The stories are top-notch, the, the, the productions are, are wonderful, but they also still make money. And, and both things have to happen. And, I, and one of my friends down at, at the company, one of the executives, he told me the thing they live by still today and what keeps that company relevant so many years later is that Walt set the example of taking big risk, but always backing it up with quality. Mm. And I just found that fascinating that uh, – they, they, they know that there were times in the history of the company that they could have gone under. And they always made it through because Walt made sure there was quality in those products. We're talking with Dr. Michael Goldsby, co-author with uh, Rob Matthews, Entrepreneurship, The Disney Way. The book, the book is a fascinating journey, not into just simply the life of Walt Disney and, and how he was such an entrepreneur that moved from artist to scientist to builder to evangelist, but also the keys to business success. I, 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 it's, I'm, it would be remiss if I didn't talk about the success formula that you pull out of this book because I think people are always looking, how do I become successful? And, and, and they, because we, always, we all want to be successful. Who doesn't, right? Mm-hmm. And I think one thing that this book does is it's, it, I'm not saying it's a recipe, but it's about as darn close to a recipe as you're going to ever get when it comes to entrepreneurship and success. Uh, and which is interesting because I think, you know, <laughs> I've heard it said, I don't know who said this, um, but, you know, everybody thinks, you know, somebody like Walt Disney is an overnight success, but it, it took him, you know, 20 years to get there. So, uh, <laughs> you know, exactly. to become that overnight success. And the, the fact the fact of the matter is, is that it didn't happen overnight and it doesn't happen overnight for us. And there are going to be, I think the one, the beautiful thing that you portray in this book Michael, is that it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to be difficult. And and you say this, I think you, you said this in, in one part of the book, you go, 
you said, you know, for most people, they would quit. They would say, you know what, it, this is it's it's enough. But for Walt Disney, there was more to do. And my favorite, the the favorite theme that came out of this book for me was Walt's always going, "What's next?" Exactly. I wanted to really get that across because as I as I studied his life and I, and I laid out the history of, of, of Walt Disney and the biography side, it, it just came to me that, that that had to be what was always going through his mind. As soon as he saw it built, as soon as he saw it happen, uh, you know, he enjoyed the, the first moments of success. But it, I'm, I guarantee you that very night something was, was completed, he always had to think what's next. He liked the challenges. He was, he was uh, creative. And again, I think that artist, scientist, builder, evangelist appreciation he had made it possible. He realized that those were the things he had to do to make his dreams uh, a reality. And so the scale, the size, the risk, uh, there was only one Walt Disney. But, you know, the thing is, we can all learn. All of us can learn from from how he did that. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I totally agree. I totally agree with you. I I think this is the, the the message that at least I pulled out for me personally when you kept emphasizing Walt going, what's next, what's next? It would be so easy for any of us that once we reached a certain level of success to go, okay, I've done enough and I'm looking forward to retirement. But that's not the, that is not the recipe for success. It is, okay, I've built this, now what can we build? What can we do? How can I help more people? Because everything along the way to me, at least as I'm reading your writing, suggests all along the way, how can I help more people? How can I build this to help additional people? How can I include more people? How can I reach a wider demographic? Who can I bring in? What other, right? I mean, even when we get to Epcot, you know, his vision for Epcot, it was about how can I make this thing bigger to encompass more people? That's right. And, you know, there's a there's a second aspect of all this, too, that that I know you'll appreciate from the neuroscience is that I think I think tied with that, the way he kept when he would think about what's next, he was always looking to the future and and he was always using uh, what I like to call aspirational language. He he talked about where he was going to take people, where he was going to take the audience, where he was going to take the company, where he was going to take his uh, his employees. And, And when you set this vision out there and you talk about a future that people want to be a part of and they want to be along on that journey, those are the entrepreneurs that really, really uh, take business to the next level, who come up with the really amazing innovations. You know, it's funny, Walt would put people on jobs that they didn't even think they that they themselves were qualified for, and he'd say, I believe in you. You can figure this out. That's why I'm putting you on this. And uh, he was trying to instill this learning way, modeling this learning all through the company. and And it was always about the future. It was always about something great. It was always about the best ideals of human nature and, and of the human condition. And you're right. He wanted to impact the world. He wanted to impact families, homes, his his country. He had a great love for his country. And uh, he always had a foot in the past of, of honoring what had come before him to make it possible while still wanting to put his stamp on the world and taking everybody to a future that he thought would be even better. Yeah, and, and 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 by the way, we're talking with Michael Goldsby, uh, co-author of the book Entrepreneurship: The Disney Way. Fabulous read, uh, just it, it, such a comprehensive read on applying back. 
uh, Walt Disney's entrepreneurial principles back to your business, back to your life, back to whatever you're doing. I, I, I think it's just an amazingly comprehensive book and uh, enjoyed reading it all the way. And uh, he's brought to you today by Inline Business Brokers and Advisors. And Inline Business Brokers and Advisors uh, represent profitably held companies with gross annual revenues in excess of a million dollars. Inline delivers the highest market value in the shortest amount of time with complete confidentiality. That is their registered trademark. They are internationally known. Uh, if you're going to sell a business, you're going to buy a business, don't talk to anyone else. Talk to the folks at Inline Business Brokers and Advisors. You can do that at enlign.com. And Linda Craft and Team Realtors, wherever you're at in the world today, wherever you're listening, and I've got, listen, Thank you so much. I've got 17 countries around the world who listen and download the show. So I am totally grateful uh, to all the folks in Sweden, India, Portugal, Spain, Italy, and and UK. You, you guys have been amazing. And, and all the other, uh, Ireland and all the other countries, Mayotte, Africa, Guinea, all of you, thank you for downloading the show. But look, if you're looking to, if you're looking to move, I can tell you that Linda Craft and Team can help you find your place they can hook you up with the right person to help you find the home of your dreams just go to lindacraft.com l-i-n-d-a-c-r-a-f-t.com so <laughs> michael this this whole thing with walt disney this this whole big adventure and i and i call it adventure because the way you outlined his life because i i i, I mean you clearly had done your research there was I, there's so many books and things that you read. And I actually have a question. Uh, there's somebody who's asking me a question live. And so I'm going to, I don't know if you know the answer, but I'm okay. He wants to know, was the Saving Mr. Banks movie, uh, is, was that related to his life in some way? Or, or is that the way he worked with all authors that Walt um, encountered? Or was just P.L. Travers that way? I guess that's the question. Interesting. Uh, it seemed like they, for the most part, captured P.L. Travers pretty well. They captured the relationship. I love Tom Hanks. I mean, uh, you know, Tom Hanks is a great actor. Right. Uh, I, the only thing about the, the portrayal of Walt in that movie is I, I think Walt was a little bit more uh, gruffer. Uh, I mean, Tom Hanks is such a likable guy and it, uh, that probably maybe a little hard for him to play that type of role. Right. But Walt, Walt was a little gruffer. I mean, he was, he was highly stressed. He was, right. He had physical pains, as I said. He always had the, the weight of the studio uh, hanging on his shoulder. But you have to keep in mind, too, that really the only parts of Walt Disney we saw in that movie were his interactions uh, with, with P.L. Travers. So right. that might have been how he was in, in business dealings with others. Uh, maybe Tom Hanks would have shown another side of him if they got, any, got him working with the uh, the people making Mary Poppins more or the, you know, the... Uh, being at home with his family, things like that. I mean, he was a good family man. Right. Uh, but, you know, we, we only got one little piece of, of Walt Disney there. And, I, and, and to be honest, that's a movie that still hasn't been made. I would love to see a, a Walt Disney life story because, as, as you said, his own personal story is, is as dramatic as the movies he made. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, no, there's no doubt. that. And, and listen, by all accounts... I mean, you, you talk about that Disney was flawed. He had his flaws. All superheroes generally do, right? He he was a chain smoker. Right. <laughs> he cursed a lot. He didn't always uh, praise his employees. And and he, you know, he could be a little aloof. 
You yeah. know, he was so he was so into whatever the next thing was, he would disappear in his own little world and be creating and working and so he would he would oftentimes be aloof, he would often be critical and he would say I think you quoted something where he said that uh, you're part of the family. If I don't, if I didn't chastise you, I didn't care. Something to that extent. Uh, or yeah, he actually said, uh, "I wouldn't spank you." Right, right. Yeah, I wouldn't spank you. That's what it was. Right, I yeah. wouldn't spank you. And and I thought, well, you know, that what that's really kind of the identity of the guy. And I'm not sure that you know people want to see that part of Walt Disney. I think they want to see him in that classic black and white feature with him interacting with uh, Mickey Mouse, I, I think is what they want him to see with this, you know, in his, in his uh, light white linen suit, right? And, and right. that's what I think we all dream of. But he was a pusher. Now, in all that said, though, he didn't care about money. I mean, you make the point that the only time he even thought about money is when he didn't have it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, he, he saw money as, a, as simply as a, as a resource to get his projects made. So money was, it was a vehicle. And, uh, and so it was Roy, it was Roy that, uh, made sure the money was always taken care of and made sure they got the money they needed. And it was a very interesting team they had there. And, you know, that's one of the things I like to point out to people is that, uh, as I point out in the book, it's, it's a phenomenal set of circumstances, the serendipity that when Walt Disney moves out, and this is one of the lessons of the book, uh, you were talking about one of your sponsors about helping people move. Right. You've got to be willing to move to where your best opportunity is. Right. And when when Walt Disney moved from Kansas City to Hollywood, I mean that was at the right time, 1920s, Hollywood just starting to pick up, and his brother is convalescing in a VA hospital out there. Right. And since he is sick, he can't work at a bank. So his brother Roy has eight years of banking experience. If he had not been sick, he probably been to live probably would have lived with his uh, wife Edna in. Kansas City, but he goes to Hollywood to convalesce for his health, and Roy and and Walt goes out there on the train because he's flat broke and bankrupt from his previous businesses in Kansas City, and Roy says, "Well, I got nothing else to do. I'll help you build this build this uh, little cartoon business." And the right timing, the right place, the two right people bringing both their strengths together, uh, unbelievable. And I always think about this. You know, what if Walt had not boarded that train or what if Roy had not been sick? Mm. I mean, that's sometimes that's the difference between the, the people who end up being multi-billionaires or the people who end up being legends and people who reach success. We can all reach success. I think we're all capable of success. That that legendary success sometimes is just right place, right time, right person, right event. And uh, hopefully you get to find that you keep plugging along. But, you know, that was Walt, right? I mean, Walt, right. Walt did take those moves. He moved to where his opportunity was. He kept plugging along. He kept overcoming adversity. And the start, the things lined up for him. But Roy was a big piece of that. You know, I have always said that, um, and and I probably didn't originally say it, but I say it. So you know how that goes, right? Yeah. It goes, somebody told you and you give him credit the first time, the second time, you know, <laughs> as they've said. And then by the time you do it the third time, as I've always said. Right. Uh, that uh, there's two things we control is our attitude and our effort. And I felt like Walt Disney was able to use his attitude and effort to create the the, the success of Disney. I, it's even even when the strike happened and he was so hurt and now he starts to become a little bit more of an evangelist, 
right? Because he pulls himself away of being so close to the people, but he's going to evangelize to get money and his creations and, and move in that way. He, he moves out of that whole thing. There is still, still, I know that it may be difficult, but there's still a level of optimism inside of him that says there's something bigger I need to do here and, and we can do it. I just need to evangelize it. And I, I, and his effort never ceased. It just didn't stop. His effort was over the top. And as you alluded to, I mean, he had nervous breakdowns along the way. He did. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, I could hear people going, oh gosh, is this part of entrepreneurship? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, I mean, what has your experience been? I mean, is this typical that we see really successful entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs go through those type of things where they're they're just so tied into them themselves and their dream? Hey, I, I think it is. And that's why I hope people read the book, one, to be aware of what happens as you build a successful company. I do a lot of coaching and a lot of the entrepreneurs I coach, uh, it ends up being more almost uh, personal development, uh, almost therapy in a way, yep. uh, because people are dealing with stresses. They're di- I, I have one very dear friend who has a tr- has a great travel agency and she's now one of the top in the country and her the thing that keeps her up at night the thing that really weighs on her shoulders is all these people that now have jobs right. because of her company she feels right. responsible for this company right. to do well uh because her fear is that if it doesn't these these people she's provided for and gotten to know and care about won't have jobs and so i coach her on the personal side of that and uh we oftentimes talk about how actually uh, the the entrepreneur shapes the business, but the business also shapes the entrepreneur. And you will you will face challenges. At one, as you get more successful, as you as you get uh, bigger, there's a lot of growth that comes in there. And I think being aware of that will will make it easier. One, you hopefully you go go and get help, whether it's a right. a coach or a therapist or somebody who's a mentor that can guide you through through those places uh, because it's hard to find that, right? I mean, it, people who aren't haven't experienced it or who are not experts on it, they really don't understand it. And it only comes a lot of times with success. There's a, there is a price to success. There's even a loneliness mm. that comes with success because everyone who comes to you now might, you have to wonder what their motivation is, right? right. I mean, right. you're, you're, you're a target for not necessarily bad intentions, but it's just a lot more responsibility and stress. And those are things, hardships when, when the times do get hard, uh, how do you work through them? And you're right about Walt. The thing about Walt was every time he went through something hard, he moved forward. And a lot of the people around him said, you know, he would sometimes he would even shake it off and, and say, uh, that happened. We got to move on. What's next? Right. Yeah. And I, I listen, I, I do a lot of coaching as well. And I find, by the way, I have the, it comes to the exact same thing you probably t- I deal with is that what ends up happening is is not so much it winds up being yeah we're dealing with the business but it's really dealing with what you're going with the with the executive i'm dealing with is going through and literally it's it's literally becomes a therapy session of helping them navigate their own feelings and thoughts and their own uh you know the 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 worries that they have and helping them navigate them and reassuring them and and that you know this is all part of the process and that you know how do we how do we manage that you know management is just a really key thing and my wife who owns is successful and owns her own company 
deals with the exact same issue all the time. She, the bigger she's gotten, the more she goes, these people are counting on me. Right. This is the, the, the if, if I don't make it rain, these people, these people are going to lose their jobs and they need these jobs. Yep. And, exactly. And, and I, listen, I, every, every successful, uh, executive I've ever coached has done with dealt with the exact same thing. I, 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 it, I don't care. They deal with exactly the same thing. And, uh, so I'm glad. I'm glad that I. It's it's not an observation that's solely on me. I'm glad that another professional coach has the same yeah. has the same issues. We are we. Do you realize that we've been on for an hour? Is it really? Wow, it's been a great talk. This has been. This is so much fun. I always tell. Uh, I I generally like to tell my guests that when you are on this show, it's as if we're two authors who are friends, and we're at and there's a party going on at my house, and we're in the kitchen. Uh, drinking a, our favorite beverage, and there's some Italian meats and cheeses along the side, and everybody's just listening in. And that is exactly how it has felt for the last 57 minutes um, that we've been able to do this. So um, this is this has been fun. I, and I want to talk about I want to talk about Gallup Strengths Finder because I'm a firm believer as a coach in Gallup Strengths Finder. My number one is I'm a learner. Mm-hmm. And Me too. By, I'm, I'm a learner as well. Number one. Yeah, I'm an activator. Second. Mm-hmm. And then I'm a comp- I, competitor and connectedness is in there so uh, as well. So I, I wanted to talk about that. I don't think we're going to be able to get to that because <laughs> we get to, we're so short of time. So what I do, but w- and, and I do believe in that, by the way, I believe in, I believe in doing the strength finder and, and I just think you can learn so much about your strengths. And they also, Gallup has a number of other uh, uh, tools that I believe can help your company and you should get professional help to, to deal with that because it's it certainly, uh, Rob talks about that certainly in the second half of the book. I, I do want to ask you though, before you go, I ask every guest who is now a friend, if to, to leave, to leave my listeners, our listeners with a new direction. And here's the thing, the show is called a new direction because we try to help people in their life or their career or their business. So based on this book, Entrepreneurship the Disney Way, and you, uh, co-author Michael, Dr. Michael Goldsby, if you could leave the listeners with a new direction based on your book, what would, it, what would that be? I would say that uh, it's, it's taking those big dreams and then finding those first actionable steps to get them going. Because I think, I think once you start doing anything that, that moves you towards that dream, it starts becoming more of a reality. And then, and then it, it, something clicks psychologically to where you're compelled to keep moving forward to that. So there's, there's, there's the idea side, and, and the idea will, will evolve over time, but there's also the get, get started side, knowing it's not perfect, knowing you may not have it fully figured out. But when you just take those first easy steps, the easiest step you can take to get started on the project Think about what can I do right now, that one easy step to get started. That's what's going to make it happen quicker than anything. Mm. 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 It sounds like something Walt Disney would say, right? The, the, totally. The, the best way is what take action. What did he say? He said uh, the best way to get started doing something is quit talking and start doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, think, I think that's what you just said. <laughs> I think it is. You're right. <laughs> it's burned into my subconscious that's, now. <laughs> that is so, no, that's so true. Uh, can you stay with me for a few minutes okay. as I close the show? Yeah. Hey, everyone. Michael Goldsby, the book, Entrepreneurship, the Disney Way. 
great book. Did you did you have some fun? Did you learn something from Walt Disney in Michael's description? And what a what a great uh, it's a great book. It's a great read. We didn't even talk about the second half of the book and how what Disney is doing today and their trials and travails. But I tell you, you can buy this book. It, it's just tremendous and it's it's you're it's it's inspiring. It really is. I found this book to be such an inspirational read and and also helped me not only as a business person but also helped me as a coach so tremendous tremendous read folks that's the show this is called a new direction because we try to help you find a new direction in your life your career and your business and and michael goldsby fulfilled every one of those today and i am so grateful to him remember folks be inspired because when you're inspired you can inspire other people and when we do that we can make this world an amazing place so until next week i will see you later Ciao, everybody. When you lost your confidence and the answers don't make sense, you got to keep your hope alive. You got to know you can survive. This is your time to find a new direction. Dreams will take you places you have never been before Find your passion, find your strength Don't worry anymore A new direction A new direction oh. A new direction This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.